Have you ever wondered why it's difficult to give your attention, energy, and take action on what matters the most to you? Or to speak up with clarity from the best part of yourself? If that's you, then you're in the right place. The follow-through formula is dedicated to providing daily inspiration for you to follow through on the real you. Hey everybody, it's Rick Lewis here with the Follow Through Formula podcast, coming to you with episode 13. I'm well past the halfway point of my commitment to record 21 podcasts in 21 days, and I did that for obvious reasons, because I thought it would be a very interesting exercise in following through. And this whole podcast is about supporting you to keep your attention on what matters most and to put action to that each and every day if you can. And obviously, this isn't the kind of thing you'd want to stress yourself out about and get more rigid and and more uptight if you don't actually follow through with some sort of action every single day. That would be counterproductive. But It's very useful and very valuable to start considering how can I make some kind of action on what matters most to me a priority. If we stop expecting ourselves to make big, huge leaps all at once and get our whole goal met in a day or even a week or a month, then we can back off a little and go, all right, it's okay for me to take a small step at a time. Just a little bit of attention on what matters most. And in addition, when we put our attention on what matters and take some action, it reconnects us to that purpose. And part of the thinking behind doing something daily is it just helps you to keep your attention on what matters. When things that matter require some real effort, it's so easy to back away from doing the small things because the overall picture seems so big. But then in the process of doing that, our attention starts to waver and we're we're not remembering what matters. So this whole follow-through strategy that I'm suggesting and trying to empower for myself and for you is just to keep bringing your attention back to what matters and using small action as a way to anchor your attention, kind of like a neurochemistry hack. When we take action towards something that matters to us, it empowers us to take more action. The whole journey we're on becomes less overwhelming to us and we start to engage more often and more easily Instead of dreading what it is that we need to do to reach our goal, we start to derive pleasure from taking those small actions. So that's that's a reminder of what we're doing here. A couple of the big things I'm working on right now are replacing my income as a corporate speaker which I've been doing for, well, 15 years now. And suddenly this year, as of March, I'm completely out of work and looking to replace my income as a professional and personal development coach. So what I'm, I'm doing is creating online courses, online training, 
And you can find that at gamesforconfidence.com if you want to see what I'm up to there. And most recently, I am creating the follow-through formula course, which you can also find on the gamesforconfidence.com site under the Life Leap menu item. So just so you know what I'm up to and what I'm shooting for, it's a it's a big picture. There are many, many steps to creating an online business and to e-commerce, and the learning curve's really big. So I'm working hard at that, and in the process of pursuing that, I've been having some thoughts this week about one unexpected obstacle to follow through. And it's pretty funny that it's unexpected because what it involves is that degree of surprise we have when we suddenly realize that not everyone in the world cares about what we're doing and necessarily wants to cooperate with our plans. And so I have all these ideas about what I want to do in my business, how I want to pursue things, and just the first layer of not necessarily getting cooperation is family. Uh, I'm a dad. I've got an 11-year-old son at home. I have two grown kids who are on their own, but I, I tangibly and most relevantly, I have a child who still depends on my attention and presence and being able to help him with things. And I notice that sometimes it's easy for me to get kind of locked down in my very sort of rigid and with blinders on about what I need to do at work. And especially since I'm working at home, I have this sense of being pulled upon out of my focus because things are needed at home. Both my son and my wife are super supportive of what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm really, really lucky in that respect. So it's, it's pretty light, but I notice the the difficulty I have with integrating these two things, which which is one, the need to be relational with others and at the same time stay focused. And we've touched on this topic a little bit before when I spoke with John Souza. That was back, I think, in episode five or six, and it's called the Do What You Love Weight Loss Program. We talk a little bit about this, about how do we stay connected to others while we're trying to stay focused. But follow through, follow through has got to take other human beings into account. And it's just not easy to do. I wanted to tell you a story, a funny story. It's actually another embarrassing story uh, on me, but it's another story from my street performing career. And I've mentioned earlier that I was a street performer for, I made my living that way for maybe about 10 years. And when I first started street performing, I started by bringing a bunch of high level circus skills that I had to the street. And my idea was, I'm just going to show everybody what a great juggler I am and all the uh, technical prowess I've got, how many balls I can juggle and how many tricks I can do and stand out there and people will put money in my hat. And what I quickly discovered was the uh, high level of skill I had from practicing for years in my backyard, learning all these circus stunts, juggling, unicycling, acrobatics, tightrope walking, all of this 
was mildly impressive to people, but I didn't make a lot of money as a street performer. And when I first started regularly street performing after I had moved to Canada at a place called Granville Island Public Market, I watched other street performers who weren't nearly as technically skilled as I was make a lot more money in their hat because they knew how to engage the audience. So their form of follow through in terms of making a living included people in a way that I didn't know how to do yet. So I kind of studied some of what other people were doing and tried to incorporate this into my own street show. And over time, I developed more and more routines that engage the audience. And that started to get really fun. I started getting getting much more traction in my street shows, was making better money. But still, I always struggle with being rigid about how I see I want things to go in my own world. And when people don't cooperate with exactly how I see it could go, I get frustrated pretty easily. It was a very big learning curve for me that's taken years. And I would say it's a a learning curve I'm still on, which is learning how to hold my intentions and my big visions lightly enough that other people can actually interact with what it is I want to do and that I can modify what I'm doing so that people want to be, want to come along. They want to join in and perhaps even be a part of co-creating what I'm doing. And that's always been difficult for me. The greatest degree of difficulty showed itself one day when I was doing my street show at Granville Island. I had a very large crowd gathered and I had this little interactive routine I did where I would juggle three balls. I would get a volunteer out of the audience, hand that person a ball, and we'd pass uh, one ball back and forth. They would throw one back and forth while I was juggling three, and we would do this little passing routine. But I had this bit that I used to do in this routine where I would locate um, a male in the audience with a really good physique and I would bring him up on stage and I would do this bit where I would I would kind of pretend that he looked too tense and I would be like hey like relax loosen up I didn't talk at this time I was I was totally a silent physical comedian so this was all in body language so I'd bring him up and I'd sort of like I'd shake my hands and shake my arms indicating I wanted him to do the same thing and follow me and As I got them to mimic me, the last thing I would do is I'd raise my hand straight up in the air over my head, you know, getting the other, this other gentleman to mirror me exactly. And as soon as his arms were straight up in the air over his head, I had learned this little stunt where I could reach down, grab the bottom hem of the gentleman's t-shirt and lift it all the way up all over his torso and off his arms in like a tenth of a second. I saw another street performer do this at one time and I thought, oh, that's that's really fun. But you have to get the right person. It has to be someone who you know isn't going to mind showing off what they've got in terms of you know all the hours and hours they clearly spend working out. They're going to be happy 
to have that on display. And Granville Island is kind of on, it's on the waterfront in Vancouver, BC. So it's a little bit of a beach scene, people walking around in shorts and t-shirts and flip flops. So it wasn't inappropriate that suddenly someone is there without a shirt on, especially someone who wouldn't mind showing it off. So I had this bit and one day I went into the audience and there was one gentleman who just, it, he fit the profile just perfectly. This was exactly the kind of guy I needed on stage. So I brought him up, I put him on stage and I went through this whole bit with him, but he was reluctant. He was reluctant even to come on stage. I had to really kind of work it to get him to agree to come on stage. In fact, I, I really pushed it to the extent that he didn't want to come up and I got the crowd whipped up into a chant cheering for him to come up on stage and participate so he really didn't want to be up there but I forced the issue because in my vision of this routine he was the perfect guy and I was like I want you on stage in my show so I really forced it I got him up on stage I went through the whole routine I whipped his shirt off and he was standing there and he wasn't happy about the fact I had just done that and I realized in that moment, oh, yep, all right. That was that's on me. I pushed the limit on this. I pulled somebody up and I forced him into place because I thought this was the this was going to work for me and my show, but this guy wasn't happy. And it was a moment of reflection going, all right, I really need to pay attention to this. There's my habit again of like pushing, forcing the issue when I have an idea that requires other people's participation. And if I'm not sensitive, then, you know, it, it brought the mood of the whole show down at that point because everyone could feel it. Everyone could feel that he wasn't really into this, but it happens sometimes. So we finished the routine. I gave him his shirt back. He put it on, went back into the crowd, and I just continued on with my show. And that's what you have to do. You know, you forgive yourself, you move forward, you learn from your mistakes and carry on. So I, I kept on with my show. And the next thing that happens after this bit where I pass juggling balls with that volunteer is I get more juggling balls and I show people how many I can juggle. So I turned back to my prop case, which was behind me, got the additional juggling balls to do this next bit for the audience and try and salvage the momentum that had been a little bit dampened by this interaction with this volunteer. So I pulled out the juggling balls. I went back to face the audience. I did the build up of, okay, now I'm going to juggle these things. And then I actually juggled the five balls and I could feel the energy to the show start to pick up again. People like that. It was, you know, impressive enough to them to, to bring their attention back to the show. And what I didn't notice is that he had walked out the back of the crowd that I was facing on the front side and, and these crowds, just so you can get kind of a, a picture of it in your mind, these crowds are in the round. So when you do a street show, you have people gathering on all sides. It's a 360 degree crowd. And we have 600 people doing that. They're like eight, 10 people deep, eight to 10 rows of people kind of looking over each other and watching what you're doing. So he had gone out the front, circled all the way around to the back and 
at the end of everything I do, I usually do some kind of flourish where I'm, I'm taking a bow or going ta-da. So I finished juggling the five balls and I raised my hands in the air to take a bow myself. I raised my hands in the air similar to the way I raised my hands in the air to get the other guy to follow me just before I took off his shirt. The gentleman who I upset, who had gone around the back of my crowd, timed things in such a way that in that moment that I raised my hands to take a bow, he entered my performance space, snuck up behind me, grabbed the hem of my sport shorts, and dropped them to my ankles. I find myself standing there, suddenly living the real-life nightmare of being naked in front of a crowd of people. You ever had that one? Where you're, you're, you're naked in front of a whole bunch of people and you can't figure out how it happened, but it's a dream, right? And then you wake up and you go, oh man, that was weird. That just, that felt so weird to be naked in front of people. This actually happened to me. Hundreds of people. And these are sport shorts with a built-in liner. So I had no additional undergarment. My shorts are around my ankles and I didn't, you know, I was completely, I had no, there was no part of me expecting this. So, you know, I felt this, you know, my shorts go down and I'm standing there with my arms in the air, fully exposed. And the guy who, who did it ran away and the crowd The crowd instantly split into like three different factions. One third of the crowd thought this was the most hilarious thing they had ever seen in their life. Watching the guy who was obviously upset about what I did get his revenge and be vindicated by definitely one-upping me. And another third of the crowd was just really uncomfortable and didn't, you know, they didn't know how to process this. They're like, am I really seeing this? How did this happen? Why did this happen? And they were really kind of, you know, a lot of people looking down at their shoes, not knowing what to do. And another third were, were I think, really upset by it. It was really shocking to them. I had people even leave. People just walk away because they're like, wow, I don't know what's going on here, but this is, this feels like dangerous dangerously weird so the whole crowd just i mean it was the most bizarre awkward embarrassing moment ever of my performing career it was just completely bizarre and you know i just wanted to crawl through the floorboards and disappear i felt so embarrassed and and so you know my, my cheeks were just bright red. I just wanted to go away. I wanted to become invisible immediately. So I thought about stopping the show, but then I'm like, well, that's just going to make it worse for me and everybody else. The best thing I can do is just, just carry on. So I pulled up my shorts. I tightened the drawstring really tightly and made a big knot in the drawstring, which got a bit of a laugh. And I finished my show 
but I was, you know, I, I think I probably stayed bright red for a week. I felt so, I felt so embarrassed by that. I can still get embarrassed by it just thinking about it today. So I just wanted to share that story with you because when it comes to follow through, the importance of paying attention to the other people in your world who ostensibly you want to be part of what it is you're doing. I mean, why else do we have goals? Goals seldom are uh, exist in a void apart from other people because our goals often are for the purpose of either helping other people or connecting better with people or being closer to our families, um, serving in some way. So that's always been a, a challenge for me, and it's a challenge right now. I always have to remember, all right, the your little your vision about exactly how you think should things should go isn't the end all and be all. It's not the bottom line, and you're gonna need to modify your plans as you go based on other human beings. And I think that's it for today. Hope it's a helpful point of reflection for you, whatever you're working on. That's episode 13. I'll be back tomorrow with episode 14. Wow, I'm really making progress. Having fun doing this as well. I hope you're having fun. And uh, I'll be back tomorrow. Take care. Hey, thanks for being here and being a die-hard listener down to the last decibel. My vision for these conversations is that you get informed and inspired to take consistent action on the real you. If these podcasts help you to do that, I'm thrilled. And if you'd like to take that work to the next level, I invite you to join me inside the Life Leap community, where I'm creating a culture and a support network for those who want to pursue what matters most in their lives. To learn more, just go to gamesforconfidence.com and click on the Life Leap menu item. I'd love to see you on the inside, and otherwise, I'm sure we'll meet again in another episode. <laughs>